Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, she shall promote thee, she shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. Do you see all these uh, regal and treasures that wisdom brings, salvation and true knowledge of God brings, all the choicest blessings. To a crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings. And the years of thy life shall be many. Well, I want us to skip down to Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18. And while any of these verses would lend itself to a fruitful study, I want us to focus on these two. Proverbs 4 verse 18. But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They shall not know it what they stumble. The book of Proverbs is a record of a father's advice on how to live life given to his son. You see it repeated throughout the, the, the verses. In the first chapter, we read, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. They shall be an ornament of grace. Again, a recurring theme of regalness and royalty and, and wealth and blessing. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. In the chapter where our text is found here in Proverbs 4, we see, again see in verse, verse 1, Hear ye children the instructions of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Any teaching from the Lord is good, isn't it? Good doctrine. Forsake not my law. And so we see that where there's a command, there's always a proclivity or possibility of doing what the command tells us not to do. Do you understand that? Don't focus just on the command or the negativity of it, but focus on the practice of it. Don't forsake what you know. Don't forget the word of God. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Throughout these 21 chapters of this book, 31 chapters of this book, we read a father's godly advice. Fathers teach their children many things. I can still hear the sayings of my father ring in my ear. Uh, he would say things like, if you don't have time to do it right the first time, son, when will you have time to do it again? You know, uh, Over and over again, those things that no doubt his father, he heard from him. He'd lived through the Great Depression. He had uh, been born uh, 10 years before Black Monday when the stock market fell. He... Uh, had to take the responsibility of a household at 13 years of age. His father uh, ended his own life, and my father became the, he the head of the household with his mother, and, and the, he took over the farm and, and labored to work to, to provide for his younger sisters, who were all the way down to just a few months old, all the way, several of them. Those were difficult years, and uh, he, his father left with an indebtedness. It was a very tragic situation, and my father, as a young boy, took that on as well and worked until uh, he paid it off. When he paid off the last of his father's debt, he was uh, called into World War II, where he served his, his country. And uh, it, those, those things, those lessons he learned, I'm sure, were what we would call from the, the school of hard knocks. You can imagine the uh, work ethic that was ingrained into my father, in which in turn he endeavored to ingrain in me. I was the, the, the third of three boys, <clears throat> five children, <clears throat> and I think my father thought that I was going to be the laziest of the bunch, and he, he may have had a prophet's eye because he just, and, and it was his uh, goal to make sure that I would not be lazy, and he, he had all kinds of arrangements to make sure that I would, would not be. 
by the, uh, the worst thing that he could say about somebody is that they were too sorry to hold a job. That, in his mind, that was just about as low as it got. Well, I can still hear him say those things, and I can hear him say, uh, son, if you can't afford it, you don't need it. If you can't pay for it, then it's not, you shouldn't even be considering it. All those, those things uh, he would say of, of someone ill-fitted for a job, and yet they thought they knew it all. You've met those kinds of people. He would say his authority exceeds his intelligence. Uh, many things stand out in, in my mind uh, about him. Uh, his neatness, and though he was raised in very dire circumstances on a farm in Greene County, uh, he treated all of his possessions as if they were, you know, priceless treasures. Uh, he had rules. If you borrowed a tool, you couldn't get a second tool until you brought the first one back, wiped up, off, neat, and put back in the exact place where it went in his, his toolbox. Uh, he was such a neat person, and I confess I didn't get that from him. Um, my father would, would fold his clothes and put them in the dirty clothes hamper. I guess that was from his military training, but absolutely neat uh, in all, the, all that he did. Uh, he had a, a humility, uh, a quiet tone in his voice, and a, a honesty and a careful attention to character. A father's job is an important one. <clears throat> Who can estimate the impact of either parent on a child? But the Bible tells us both by precept and example what fathers should teach their children. What a tragedy today. Is this not the area that we see attacked so, so, uh, so horribly? Uh, the, the father's headship of the home, his role as the, the leader and the spiritual example. And uh, we, we see all this being undermined by our society. And, and, and it seems what society does not do, we do to ourselves. And it's a very tragic thing uh, that, that fathers fail most in the area that's most important, in the matters of the soul, the spiritual matters. They can teach their boys how to throw a football, how to bat a baseball, how to catch a fish with the right kind of bait, and all those are wonderful things that should be taught, I'm sure. How to read the stock market. I learned from my father, I think I caught it rather than him teaching it to me. He read the, the Tuscaloosa News from the masthead to the very last won't add every day. Sadly, we don't have a daily newspaper, so I'm out of that habit. But uh, I remember as a little boy wanting to be like him, and I would pick But you didn't touch the paper till he was through with it, you know. Uh, picking it up and trying to read it, you know. Even, even, I was age able to read, but it just didn't, it wasn't interesting to me. I thought, why do you read, what is this, you know, the editorial page or something. And I didn't know enough about world events to, to be interested. But uh, it caught, and his, his uh, love of reading although he never finished school, uh, was emblazoned in my heart and mind. All those kinds of things rub off and are taught either by precept or by example, how to change the oil in a car. My father was a master mechanic, but it's proof that it is not inherited just because your father was something that you are. Uh, he, he would uh, be appalled at my lack of, of knowledge in, in that d department. Uh, how to clean a paintbrush, all those things we go on, how to make out a budget, how to, to shop for the best deal, how to, to mow the yard and to, to rethread a weed eater and, and uh, how to barbecue ribs and, and on and on and on. But sadly, as wonderful as those things are, many fathers who do work long hours and sacrifice to provide a home and, and the, the niceties of life for their children never take the time to tell their children about their heavenly home and their heavenly father, and how to know him, and how to be rightly related to him. 
and how to live a godly life until he calls us home. God the Father had one son, and he sent him to show us the way of salvation and how to, to get to heaven when we die. He's gone back to heaven to prepare a place for us, and he's given his own word, and I'm resting in the word of our Lord today in John 14, verse 3. I go to prepare a place for you. He declares what he's about to do. And if I go, that's not a iffy-wishy-washy. That's since I go. Because I'm going to prepare a place for you, that has a whole different light on it, doesn't it? Because I go to prepare a place for you, one of my favorite verses is only a part of a verse. And it's the next five words, four words. I will come again. I could sit down for the rest of my life and enjoy those four words. I will come again. It is the, it is the blessed hope of the church that our Lord is coming for us either individually as he calls us home or corporately when he uh, snatches his bride away one day that, that we feel the scripture teaches. I will come again. Think about it. Would you let that just fill your heart and mind today that the God who sent his son the first time, his son is coming again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Whatever heaven is like, it will be heaven because Jesus is there. And it will be glorious not because of the walls or the, or the, the streets or the mansions or whatever uh, is there, which I'm sure is glorious beyond description. It will be heaven because our Savior is there, the lover of our souls. The Father here in our text tells his son about two pathways a wise father will do that. My father used to tell me, son, the shortest route to a place is the straightest route. He had all these things figured out in his mind. My mother would try to figure out all kinds of shortcuts and ways to go. And, uh, you know, in the days before interstates and all those kinds of things, it, it was, you had to figure out uh, the, the, those things. And he would say the shortest route is the straightest route. Well, we see two two destinies here, two pathways, two roads that can be taken, two opposite roads Two different directions, two different destinies. Every good father will do the same thing. He will tell his children that there are two roads. You're born on one of them going headlong to a place of destruction. You must be born again and be placed on the narrow road to get to heaven. There's no more important job on earth than preparing our children not only for this life, but the life to come. These wise words of the Father here in the book of Proverbs have been recorded for us by the Holy Spirit for our own learning and admonition. And so let's see what the Lord has for us here today. We see here a vivid contrast, which the, the Holy Spirit does throughout the Proverbs. In fact, the, the Proverbs is a book of comparisons and contrasts. Usually the first, the couplet, each verse is a couplet. The first verse will state a fact, and then the second part of the verse will restate it either by comparing or contrasting. And usually it's a very vivid picture in a stark contrast. Uh, we, we find here that from God's perspective, there, there are two paths, the path of the just and the way of the wicked. I want you to keep, keep that in your heart and mind today, the path of the just and the way of the wicked. Do you see, because the, the, the path is a, a narrow thing, usually you think of a footpath, through the woods or through a forest or through the fields in the back of our home where we were raised uh, at the old home place. Now I-59 goes down through it, but when I was a boy, it was just a vast uh, broom sage field. 
oh, the, the fun it is to play in a broom stage field. You can, you can hide in it. You can make a pass through it. It's just it's an amazing thing. And, and then I had the, the, the joy of when they began to make I-59 through from Birmingham to Tuscaloosa. They dug all that down. And uh, you can imagine all during the road construction, what a delight that was for a boy. I mean, I know we weren't supposed to be there, but after the workmen would leave, I mean, you had this huge, we would jump off of uh, places as high as this uh, uh, room down into the mud and all down there. It was just, and then had to figure out how it was going to get clean before we got home and mother found our clothes and that kind of thing. But uh, the, the path, I, I often think of the paths in my childhood back through the, those broom sage where we play hide and seek and all that. But the way of the, of the unjust is broad. You see, that's why it says here path and way. A way is bigger than a path. The way is the broad, in the New Testament it says the broad way. We could say the broad boulevard that leads to destruction. God's standpoint, there are only two classes of people on earth. No matter what your wealth may be or your status and maybe from nobility or from a founding family of Birmingham or whatever you may trace your background to, there are only two classes of people that may, that no matter, there may be hundreds of religions and countless denominations, there are just two classes of people, the just, those who've been justified, and the wicked. The just are the justified, declared to be righteous by God because of the work of his son on the cross. It is a gift. It is not by works. It is a condition of justification, of clearing from blame that is deserved, but by God's free, unmerited favor and grace. He he clears us and gives us his own righteousness. Oh, what a beautiful word just is. You see it throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just in the Old Testament and justified or justification in the New Testament. It is a legal word. The judge of heaven clears us from the the charges. It does not mean we did not commit the charges, but the charges have been removed and the record of another has been placed on our account. An absolutely amazing, astounding doctrine. The wicked are sinful by nature. Born into this world sinful and lost and and separated. Uh, The the Bible describes it it being at war with God. It enmity with God. It's a very harsh thing. Now, the lost don't realize this. In fact, some lost people are so religious, they think they love God and they think they have God's favor. When the Bible says in actuality they hate God because if they really saw God as he is and as they begin to reveal to them the God of the Bible, they reject that often, don't they? That's not the God I know. Was because they do not know him. Or oh, that's not the God of the, of the scriptures. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, the fact that God would, would condemn sin and, and his wrath be poured out against sin is repugnant to people. And to the unsaved mind, the whole doctrine of atonement, that God would require such a thing is barbaric. And, and they, they fault God with it. Well, how can you love a God that you fault and that you don't agree with? And that you, you take out large sections of his word and say, now this is the God that I will worship. It's a self-constructed God. It is no different than, than the Tower of Babel or the, the sacrifices or the statues of Baal or Moloch. It's a, a made-up God, no matter what you, you call him. And so the Bible says we're at, at a war with God. You're either right before God and justified, or you are wrong before him and lost. There are only two classes of people on earth, the saved and the lost. 
Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, The the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, why did Jesus come to earth if, if we were not sinners and that something must be done to take care of that? It's absolutely, you have to explain away the whole gospel if you have a gospel without an atonement. If there was many ways to, to accomplish that, why would God sacrifice the darling of heaven in such a cruel, horrible death? If that wasn't necessary, if you could just observe some religion and get there anyway, why would God require that? It's absolutely reprehensible. So the the scriptures have to be taken as a whole or not at all. You don't get to pick and choose. God says, this is my word. The Son of Man, the Bible tells us. Why did Jesus come? Not just to be a good teacher, not just to show a good way. The Son of Man has come to seek out his bride, to seek and, and to save that which is lost. Acts 28:24 describes these two classes of people and some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. What a simple designation. Some believed and received and some did not. There are some things we need to examine that are revealed in these two verses in Proverbs chapter 4. The fir- first of all, the just are in the minority while the wicked are in the majority. Notice these verses speak of the path, as I've already pointed out, of the just and the way of the wicked. What is the difference? The Lord spoke of the broad way and the narrow way in Matthew seven thirteen. Enter ye in at the straight gate. He is that gate, isn't he? He is that door. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. But because the straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Few relative to the masses who refuse to find it, who refuse to to seek out the Lord. He said there would be many on the broad way and few on the narrow way. That's what the father told his son in, in, in our text here. First of all, the just and the saved are in the minority. And it's always been that way. And wise parents will teach their, their children how to be in the minority. Now, we see in society a restructuring and people trying to make sure there is no minority in any area of life, whether it's winners on a game or, you know, everybody gets first place. No one should be, there should be no delineations whatsoever. We're, we're rebuilding society where there's this attitude that everybody is first and everybody is great and there's no delineation whatsoever. When we know that nature and, and the Lord himself allows for differences, Differences are not bad. They're just that. They're differences. There's male. There's female. You can rewrite the laws to describe that. But still, the scripture says there's male and female. The woman is the weaker vessel. And all those things that are just absolutely bombs in society. I was sitting in a place of business yesterday, getting my car seen about, an estimate on it. And then when I walked into the waiting room, there were already two ladies engaged in a conversation. They were, they were discussing the raising of pit bulls. And since I had no interest in the raising of pit bulls, uh, one woman had three pit bulls and a poodle. I was trying to figure that one out. That didn't seem like that would go together. And so I had my study things there with me, and I sat and just tried to, to redeem the time. And out of the clear blue sky, the one lady turned to me, though addressing the room. So it was clear, and she turned exactly where I was, and, and 
I think she saw the, the commentary, had Genesis on the outside of it and that kind of thing. And she said, uh, so what do y'all think about the possibility of same-sex marriages being carried out in our state, you know, beginning next week? Bam, just like that. Not, not a conversation starter typically. And you know the comfort level is getting, you know, okay, Chris, how are you going to respond to this, this clear opportunity to state your, you know, the scriptures and do it, and you, but, you know, lovingly and all those things are going through your mind. And so I, I said, uh, I may could have had a better statement, but the statement that came to mind was this. As a believer of the scriptures and as a follower of Christ, I, I feel the scriptures teach very definitely about what a marriage is and what a marriage is not. And I just left it at that. That was my, my statement. You would have thought that I call her integrity now, granted, the lady, the woman, asked the question to me, and I answered her question, but it was not the answer that she was looking for. It was obvious. And with all the venom that you can imagine, and it was one of those things you'd had to be there to see the full, uh, how thick that room was and all the, 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 the scenario that was going on. So, you must be a preacher, Listen to the, connect these dots. You know, I could have been a layman Sunday school. I did have religious, you know, I had commentaries there, but she jumped right to what in her mind, obviously, and I'm making an assumption here, was the worst possible person on earth, you know. A preacher, the way she said it, it was like, <sighs> leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So you must be a preacher. And I said, yes, ma'am, because my mother taught me to say that to women. That didn't go over well either. <laughs> We're going from bad to worse. Uh, I am a pastor. And so the glare and the silence after that statement was, it, could have, it should have been, it could have been screaming and it wouldn't have been any different. So here I am uh, in this situation wondering how what's going to happen next. The, the other woman that she'd been talking to responded, well, we must pray for them like that. Which again, we're, we're we're getting into we're dividing lines and them and us and all that that kind of thing. And I said, "Yes, ma'am, you're right." And I was about to say my next statement when the man came in uh, to rescue me <laughs> and said, "Mr. Lamb, I need you to come and look under your car and see what we're talking about here." And so the eyes I could tell followed me all the way out, and uh, this this came to mind that this broad way and the narrow way and the the divergent you know poles how far they are from one another. Now, what is the difference? Notice the the the, the narrow way and the broad way. First Peter tells us in chapter three verse twenty that it was so dark. In the days of Noah, and we're speaking of not the sunlight, but the darkness of mankind, that even after he had preached the gospel for 120 years, faithfully, daily, with an object lesson unlike any preacher on earth, he had but to put point to the one door on his ark as he was preaching the gospel of a judgment to come. And uh, the Bible tells us he was a preacher of righteousness, so we know the content of his message. The people of Sodom were so stubborn and so set in their ways and their sin that just a handful, again, one family escaped. It was the same thing during the, the days of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus said in Matthew 20 and verse 16, Many are called, but few are chosen. 
the tragedy is that those who are on the broad road think that because they're in the majority that they must be right. And back to my statement before I gave you the personal illustration there. Parents, Christian parents, parents who know and love the Lord must teach their children to be in the minority. Uh, it may not be a popular thing and the, the, your friends and neighbors and even family may not appreciate it, but you're to follow the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength and all that he reveals to us in his word, whether anybody likes it or not, whether you'll be voted Miss Congeniality or the most valuable player or if you'll be well-liked by And the problem is we teach our children that, that so much to be liked and accepted that that's more important than, than being in the minority and being ostracized because of whose we are. And, and what we believe. We, we need to teach our children to stand. And this is one of the things that the father is telling his sons here. Son, you're going to meet all kinds of people, but they're either on one or two roads. And we must be careful. That's not condescendingly. We ought to do it with a tear in our eye and with a burden to tell them about the, the grace of Jesus Christ, which will save and change and intervene. The tragedy is that those on the Broadway think that they must be right because they're in the majority. That's kind of the opinion of people. What do we do? As a boy, I'd go ask my mother, can I do something? All the guys on the street are doing it. And you know, you know what her response was. No, they're not all doing it because you're not going there. You're not going to do that. Uh, but we think if it's the majority doing it, it must be cool, it must be good, there must not be anything wrong with it. Sometimes those who are saved and are on the minority or narrow road may be tempted to think that they're wrong. Satan loves to intimidate us in that way. Proverbs fourteen twelve warns, There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a second truth we see here, not only that the just are in the minority and the, the wicked are in the majority, but we see also that the just walk in light while the unjust or the wicked walk in darkness. Now, this is a spiritual darkness. It doesn't matter how much education you have, how many degrees you have, no matter how well-traveled you are or well-read you are or your life experiences, you are either in light or darkness. And the Bible says how great is that darkness. It's not that you just don't have enough light. It is an absolute total darkness that is a, a picture of what eternal hell will be, which is described as a place of darkness, loneliness, cut off, from all that is blessed and good. We love light, don't we? We open the windows and open the drapes and, and we want light in, in rooms and, 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 and we, we, we strive after light. The saved are described as being in the light and the lost are, are in the dark. The path of the just is as a shining light, a brilliantly, brilliantly dazzled light. That is the experience of every born-again person but what a difference it is for those who don't know the Lord. The way of the wicked is his darkness. Believers are in the light because they have come to know the Lord who is the light himself. In fact, in the descriptive language of Revelation, the, in the, the new creation, there will be no literal planet called the sun because the light of his holiness and radiance will be all that is needed there. Christ is light. When you meet uh, or see God in the Old Testament, it's always in a, a dazzling blinding light and people are influenced by it remember when moses came down off the mount he burned he glowed by being in the presence of the lord when jesus christ was transfigured before his disciples remember there was this absolute glow and a, and a light that, that that changed before them we're in that light 
Now, light is not just knowledge. It begins with the knowledge of Christ as Savior, but it's his word is light. Uh, the truth of the Lord Jesus who said, I am the light of the world in John 8, verse 12. He declares that. That's one of the titles that he calls himself. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What a wonderful teaching that is. Colossians 1 verse 12 tells us that in salvation we have been delivered from the power of darkness and have been translated. That's the same word that we use for raptured into, put into a different realm. We've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. But in contrast, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4, it tells us that the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded the eyes of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in unto them. Which road are you headed down? Where where are you this morning? Where are you headed? The road of light or the road of darkness, which leads to eternal darkness? Jude Jude 13 speaks of of blackness of darkness which abides forever. Isn't that an interesting description? Blackness of darkness which abides forever. It's a black night where no light ever pitches, ever ever enters, and it never ends. You see how used you are to light and how needful it is. Whenever the power goes off, whether it's in the middle of the night or whatever, it usually wakes you up, doesn't it? The sounds are different, the hums, the, the little... Uh, call them vampire lights on all the gadgets and and, uh, appliances are on, and you forget how much light is in your house until there's none. There's no street lights. There's no light outside. There's no light inside. We're we're so accustomed to that. And even if we weren't going to do anything at 11 o'clock at night, we feel this need to turn a light on. And when you get up and go into a room in a house that you know has no light, do you know what you do? I know what I do. I flip the switch on. Do you not do that? Or I think, I'll go make a cup of coffee if we can't do anything else. Oh, really? And everything we do, we, we, we try to look for the light because it's so needful. We, we so desperately need it. We notice a third truth in the, these verses. Not only are the saved in the minority and the lost in the majority, and the saved are walking in the light while the, the, the lost are stumbling in darkness. But the third thing we see is that the path of the just gets brighter even as they're, they're wearing out and getting in the twilight years of their life, their path gets brighter and the path of the wicked gets darker. Do you know there's no sinner like an old sinner? Do you know there's no darkness as there is in someone who's aged and has rejected the gospel and is hardened in their sin? We have the misconception, I think, sometimes that just because someone is old, they're sweet, and somehow they must be okay, and they're, they're, they're right before the Lord. But there's no sinners like those hardened in their sin by years of rejection and years of listening to the lies of the devil and years of excusing their behavior and their unbelief. They may not be able to practice what their mind believes and their heart conceives, but they're, they're settled like cement in their ways of sin. The path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more, increasing, brighter as we get closer to home, as we near the shore, as we come to the prospect of waking up in glory and finding it home. It gets brighter and brighter, though the outward circumstances get dimmer and dimmer. 
and the feeble step and the feeble life and the, the, the drawn breath and, and all the outward circumstances from those looking on look pitiful and sad. The inner man is growing, the Bible tells us, day by day and waits for the eternal weight of glory. In contrast, he tells us the way of the wicked is as darkness and they know not at what they stumble. And sadly, lastly, they will stumble over their own unbelief into an eternal darkness. What a contrast, light and dark. What a contrast between the saved and the lost. Here's someone, they hear the good news of the gospel. Jesus died for their sins and in their place. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And the power that raised him up from the dead, he gives us the power to become the sons of God. The same power is the power of the gospel, the dynamite of the gospel. And because he lives, we shall live also. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. These glorious, earth-shaking, dynamite statements of brightness and glory and power. They hear it. They're convicted of it in their hearts and they're bothered by their sin and the Holy Spirit of God. They take him at his word and trust him to cleanse them and to save them. And they hear the blessed words, to as many as received him. To them gave you the power to become the sons of God. They marvel at the simplicity of salvation and in simple faith turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe on him. They had just a little light to start with, a verse I've shared with you that the great theologian, A.W. Pink, what a mighty man of the scriptures Pink was. When, as a young, he was raised in a Christian home, and as a young teenager, he got into theosophy, or the, the, the levitation and all the occult kind of thing. It was very vogue and popular in, in England at that time, and uh, at the, the Edwardian days and the turn of the century, those early days. And uh, he would go to these seances and all these kind of things that explained away the scriptures, and his parents' heart were broken, so devoted believers they were. And so one, one night, uh, Arthur came in from a seance or a meeting or what, whatever they did, a group meeting, and he came in the door, and his father met him at the front door, and he, he looked at him and he said, A.W., there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And Pink's testimony is he went up to his room and shut the door. And that verse of Scripture would not leave his heart and mind. He stayed there for days. And all he could think of is that the, the end thereof are the ways of death. The end. What about at the end? What happens after the end? Uh, the, the occult and all that had no answers to that. They had no, no hope for the soul. No assurance whatsoever. Outside of Christianity, there's no assurance of the afterlife. There's no uh, heartfelt, total assurance that we're made right with God and that we indeed will go to heaven. That comes from the gospel, the good news. And it worried him and convicted him in the light of that one verse brought him to repentance and faith. Well, a verse, a verse. I was visiting with a man recently, one of the elderly men in our church, I took him to the doctor, and on the way home, he said, uh, I was bragging on him because um, he's one of our special guys. And uh, he's come to church here since he was a little boy. And uh, his, he said, you, do you remember when I was saved? And sadly, I could not. And it was just, it, I was so embarrassed. Here his pastor was, and he was trying to, and he said, we went to a funeral at Edwood Cemetery, my uncle's funeral, and after the funeral, I got in the car with you, and 
you asked me if I died, what would happen to me? And I knew the gospel because my mother had taught it to me and I'd heard it here all my life. And I, re- I received Christ as my Savior right then and there. And I rejoiced. And he said, you, don't, you baptized me, Brother Lamb. You don't remember that? And I, 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 as he was saying it, he came back. But I said that to say this. In the, in the meeting that he had with this doctor, the doctor, it was a yearly meeting, and he was trying to get him out, you know, quick. You could just tell he was uncomfortable the whole thing. And he said, well, do you have any questions, anything to say? He said, yes, I have something to say. And he began, he has listened all of his adult life to the scripture on tape, CDs. In fact, the, the Baptist bookstore and the, 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 the Christian bookstore downtown used to have a, I don't know if they still have it or not, Lifeway, they used to have a lifetime guarantee on the Alexander Scorby CDs, but he wore them out so many times, I think they finally had to change their policy. And he, he began to quote, he said, uh, he quoted the first, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he went from verse to verse. And I'll be honest with you, I was ashamed. I didn't witness to the doctor. I was there to help, you know, get him there and get back home and I was thinking about my busy day and all I had to get done. And he said, yes, I'd like to say something. And he began to quote verse after, I can't remember how many verses he quoted. And later on in the car, I called his name and I said, my, how proud I am of you. I mean, you, you gave a clear gospel witness. And, of course, the, the doctor got us out as quick as he could. You know, that, that was, he, wasn't, he wasn't counting on that information that particular day and ushered us out. So see you next year and that kind of thing. And I, I was saying, you, you know, you, you, you've rebuked your, your life and your, your testimony has rebuked me because, you know, I didn't, I didn't take that opportunity to, to witness as you did. And he said, well, Pastor, I told the Holy Spirit a long time ago, anytime he told me to do something, I would do it. I would never not do what he told me to do. Does it get any clearer than that? Is it any brighter than that? How much more do you need to know beside that? That Jesus is my Savior, and whatever his Spirit tells me to do, I will not go against it. There you have it. You can't add anything else to that. That's it. A little light at first, just enough to show them which door to go in and and which road to get going on. And who knows what that simple witness seed planted in the heart of that man, who knows what, what may come of that. As they travel down that narrow road, having just got on by going through the gate marked Jesus only. They find that they have more and more light. That going through the door opens up a world of light that they didn't have before. As they obey the word and make godly decisions based on the principles of his word, guess what? They get more light. And the bigger the problems are, the more the light comes. In contrast, the wicked are trying to find their way by stumbling along in an absolute darkness blackness they stumble because they're in darkness you've never stumbled and it hurts yourself like in darkness try not to turn on the light and, and going in the night in, in, in the nighttime oh the stump toes and, the, and the, the shins that have been hurt by the stumbling in darkness you see lost people in some horrible situations don't you i mean we see it more and more oh what tangled webs people weave and you just think, oh, my, how, how could you get in such a situation? Stumbling through life, not being able to get on the right road, over and over again making some, some stupid decisions. Ephesians 2, 12 describes the dark path 
of the unsaved as being without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But praise the Lord. There is a God who stands waiting to lead stumbling souls if they'll only reach out to him by faith. Put their hands into his hands. The nail-scarred hand is reaching down. Just take my hand. Reach out by faith. I will guide you. And he guides all of his dear children in that way. Psalm 37 verse 23 promises, The steps of a good man are what? They're ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in his way. Life is a battlefield, strong with landmines, hidden all over. And, and we don't know where they are. Satan has snares set for our feet. And every footstep, there's a possibility of messing up. Every step you'll take today, there's a possibility. Most people try to find their way across that, that mind-strong battlefield alone, by their own wits, by what seems to be right, which is a very foolish thing to do, isn't it? If you had been given a map that says, all right, there's, there are mines all across this battlefield, and you've got to get across, but here they are. See where that tree is right underneath that. See where that rock is. That, and you have a guide to get you through there. How, how foolish it would be. And if you had someone say, here, well, here, I'll take you. Just, just follow, put your step in my step. Every step I make, you put your step behind me. We'll get across safely to the other side. We have a guide. The Lord Jesus Christ, who knows where every mine is planted, and he can see what we cannot see with human sight. He, he knows what we do not know. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows us. He longs to lead us and guide us on the path of light. We see a final truth here. Actually, it's a promise as we close this morning. The just have a glorious future, while the wicked have a terrible future awaiting them. The, the saved are traveling on to a perfect day. Now, I don't know how you define a perfect day. It would be different from all of us. But in the scripture, a perfect day is the place of bliss and glory. It's in the very presence of God. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And the way you know, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one cometh to the Father but by me. But on the other hand, in Matthew 8, verse 12, the children of the kingdom of this world shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, cursing under their breath throughout eternity. Let me ask you, which road are you traveling today? You're not on the path by your birth. I don't care how wonderful your parents were or are or your associations. Your associations don't put you on the right path. You were born on the broad path. And unless a miracle of grace has taken place, you're not on the path, the narrow road. Everyone born in this world is automatically traveling on the road to darkness. Your path will take you stumbling along all through life falling into the potholes of sin, the wrecks of self-will, all the while trying to see through the blinding darkness and not being able to find your way. The path is Jesus Christ. And to some, I'm, I'm afraid that the Lord has brought you to a fork in your journey. And uh, you're shown clearly that there's two ways. You've been told, you might not have known it, but you've been told that you're on the wrong road and that you must get on the right road. 
And even for those on the right path, for a moment, the shadow of death will cover your path. Do you realize that? At some point, the shadow of death will, will pass over you. But the Savior promised, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And then he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. How long? All the days of this life. And then what? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You must be on the right row, and the way is simple. Jesus is the way. To as many as received him, to him gave you the power to become the sons of God. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word and the the teaching of your gospel. Would you go forth in power and authority today? Would you open hearts to believe on Jesus Christ and to receive him? Where you are right now, you can call on him and ask him to save you. Tell him you're on the wrong road and that you need a savior and that you want to be put on that that right road. Go to the door. He is the door and the way. Lord, bless your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.